Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Thank you guys for being with us here on the Super Bowl Sunday weekend. We're going to do some church in addition to celebrating, uh, you know, the cultural values of Super Bowl and all of that hubbub. We got some chili so we can have fun with it. But we are in yet another chapter of what is called House Church. It's a teaching series we're going through. The whole idea is how to bring the good stuff that happens here into the home. And there are some neat things, aren't there, that, that, that are a part of a church community, a faith community. Uh, like our stirring worship. It's wonderful worship service so far. And inspiring words. That's, that's me, right? Encouraging friendship. Powerful prayers. There's wonderful transcendent things that happen in this place. Why wouldn't we want to bring those into the home? Whatever home looks like for you. You may be a teenager. You may be a, a bachelor or a bachelorette. You, you may also be that as a teenager, I guess. But we're not thinking that way yet. Uh, you may be married with kids. You may not have the kids yet. You may have kids that have exited the home. You still got a place you call home. And we want to talk about in this series, what does it mean to bring these transcendent, wonderful, powerful things, as Judah said, transformational things, into the home? And what could happen there? You know, what could happen if we did? And there's a beautiful quote from a, a, a little old preacher man called Charles Spurgeon. He said this. It sums up like the whole series, I think, in one punch. He said, when home is ruled according to God's word, angels might be asked to stay with us, and they would not find themselves out of their element. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a wonderful picture. The only problem is, I don't know about you, but my home doesn't sometimes feel like little, sweet little baby cherubim and and baby angels are like on every corner when I walk around. That's the only problem. Our homes are filled with, man, harsh tones and uh, secret passions and, and all sorts of drama and chaos, willful spirits and selfishness. These are the things that so often rule my home. I'll just be the first to admit it. So often, those are the marks of our home. But what if? What if we could take Paul's words from the book of Ephesians? If you don't have a Bible, you can open your phone to Ephesians chapter 5. That's what House Church is. It's a study in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 18, 19, 20, 21, somewhere in there. And you can follow along. It'll be on the screen. But what do Paul's words about wisdom He's going to define wisdom. He's going to talk about God's will in worship. What would happen if we had wisdom in our homes? And wisdom, I'm just going to define this morning for us, is knowing the will and the worship of God. That is wisdom. That is what it means to have a wise home, a wisdom-filled home. Do you know what could happen? Oh my goodness. If that entered into our home, do you know what could happen? What kind of plans and hopes and dreams could be realized if we had a home that practiced wisdom? What kind of love, peace, and joy could be overflowing? Our neighbors might know about it if we had wisdom in our homes. And I think that's what Paul is going to lean into here in Ephesians chapter 5. Look with me at verse 15 is actually where we begin. It says, Therefore, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Taking advantage of every opportunity because the days are evil. Today, it seems like we don't often ask first, 
what would be wise? What would be the wise thing to do? We ask what's best. We may ask even what's right. What's right? We don't really know. That's a moving target all the time. What's good? What's uh, advantageous? That's a really popular one. What's advantageous? What just works well? What will get me the most gain? What will reap the most benefit? But never what is wise. So what does it mean to be wise? Paul, again, wonderful, as you read scripture, there's a comma. Often he's going to go on to explain part of the answer. Well, taking advantage of every opportunity, right there, verse 16. We're still in the new year, guys. I'm going to harp on it, okay? Mostly because I'm jealous that Judith got to preach uh, in the New Year's sermon, and I didn't, I didn't get to. But here I am. I'm still harping on it in February. We got a new year. How can we optimize opportunity? You guys ever missed an opportunity? Raise your hand if you missed an opportunity. And some of you raise your hand that quickly. It was probably recent, and I'm sorry. You're still feeling the sting of that missed opportunity. What does Paul have to tell us about wisdom in terms of opportunity? You know what I think opportunity asks? And if you're taking notes, there's pens in your chairs. You can take notes on your bulletin or on your phone. Opportunity asks this. It's one of the most critical questions I've ever learned to ask. Opportunity asks, what's important now? When, there's an acronym for it, when, W-I-N, what's important now? How does God want me to invest my time today, this hour? Do we pause? Do we stop and pray and ask God, how do you want me to invest my time this hour or this day that's going ahead of me? That's a wise type of question. But that's not all. It's so, it's so neat that the opportunity asks what's important now. You know what wisdom asks? Wisdom asks what's important years from now. The long view, the so-called long view. And we have to be masters at both, you guys. That's the beautiful thing about wisdom and about this text. We have to be masters at both. Take, for example, money, okay? Money is talked about cover to cover in the Bible. And there's these wonderful passages in the Old Testament about money, about planning with our money, about saving with our money, about investment, about even strategy for our money. Who would set forth to construct a building without first counting the cost? That's a passage from the Old Testament. There's wonderful loads of practical information about money cover to cover in the Bible. And then you move into the New Testament. And Jesus has this whole wealth of rather radical ideas around money. He kind of ups the ante. He doubles down. He, 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 in my opinion, he is almost like this reckless abandon. Everything that we got from the Old Testament and elsewhere about plan and savings and investment has to be read through the filter of Jesus' words. If you want to know, just look no further than Gospel of Luke. Go to, the, go to the book of Luke and find out. It's like every other chapter Jesus keeps going after this issue of what's so close to our heart. And in Luke 12, for example, He's talking about this guy who did all that, his farmer. He stored, he stored, he stored. He got all this wheat and he was going to build a new home. He was going to double down. He was going to double his investment and create a whole structure for his wealth and all of his property. And, and, and Jesus' punchline at the end of the, the parable is, you fool, <laughs> you fool. Didn't you know your life will be demanded of you this very day? And here you were storing up and storing up and storing up. You see, wisdom, as we begin this conversation, wisdom is knowing how to ask what's important now and what's important years from now. That's what I, that's what I see Paul talking about opportunity. What about verse 17? Verse 17 says, For this reason, do not be foolish, but be wise by understanding what the Lord's will is. That's a neat idea, Paul. That would be cool if we just knew what the, what the Lord's will is. It's a pretty basic question, isn't it? For those inside and outside the church? That's a huge question. 
maybe use different language for those who are outside the church. They don't say God's will, but they say, man, I'm at this intersection. I would love to know what to do next. I would love to know what the right decision is right now. I would love to know where I should go in this moment. Definitely for Christians, what is God's will? I just, I would love to know God. Can you talk to me? Can you speak to me? And yet we have this word, we have this Bible, maybe, maybe hundreds, if not thousands of references to the Lord's will. And then, and then God's will was. And then, and then this saith the Lord, spelt out there. So many examples. One, one very popular one is from Romans 12. Check this out. This will encourage you on, on God's will. It says in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper what? Yes, you get to answer. In this game, on Sunday morning, you get to answer. This is your true and proper what? Heck yeah, way to go. I heard you over there. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A lot of you Christian folks, you know this passage. You memorized it. Good for you. Extra credit today. Okay, but then a really key word. Then. Then. Anytime you see that word, you got to back it up. It's an if-then type of idea. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's what? What God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Remember that for later. That's going to be important for later. Then, there's this part, this answer that I want to get after, verse 2. I'd love to know God's will. I'd love to figure that out. But it comes after the word then. There's something beforehand that points us to what we need to be after in terms of knowing God's will. You see, God's will is challenging. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a problem because we have to surrender. We have to surrender our will to God's will. That's the challenge. There's so many barriers and obstacles to doing that, I think, today in this day and age. It feels like a loss of power, doesn't it? It feels like a loss of autonomy. It's a very, very important cultural term. It's a very important social, societal term today. Don't ever, ever, ever encroach on someone's autonomy, on their own free will. Never do that. And yet I have this passage that challenges me with worship to put God in its proper place. So worship is part of the precursor for will, right? You're tracking with me? Okay, well, our worship has to go somewhere like we talk about often. And I think, so often, I think we sit in the throne. (sighs) Yeah. We sit in the throne, look at this thing, I can't even get deep enough into this thing right now. We sit in the throne of self. This is self. This is a metaphor for self. I got my plans over here. I got my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my will. That's the the butt place is my will. That's the throne. How can I feed Ben? How can I feel his way and his need in the world? And that's a very popular, challenging, uh, countercultural idea to suggest that anyone else should take that throne seat. And yet those are our times. I'm going to, since I'm seated, uh, I'm just going to read to you. Shall I just read to you for a moment? Would that be okay? I have this book here that a friend gave me. It's called Disappearing Church. Really daunting, I know, really extreme. Uh, you can look it up. You can grab it. But I'm going to read from you. It's not going to be on the screen, so you really just have to close your eyes and get there with me. He's talking about culture. He's talking about society. He calls it post-Christian is a lot of what we're actually looking at today in America and elsewhere. It says this, the post-Christian revolution, by removing God from the throne, 
in preference of self, I'm in the seat of self right now, cannot look to a transcendent almighty God for a definition of righteousness, morality, and justice. The self, the self must determine what is good. That's the challenge. That's where we are today, church. Inside and outside the church, we have the same challenge. We want to sit in the throne of self. Our plans, our will, our way, our desires. Here's the encouragement. Here's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. Instead, we need to walk the countercultural narrow path in which we die to self, die to self, and we rethrone God in our lives as the supreme authority. Wow! Wow! He needs to be back in that chair in our lives. Why? Why does Paul do such a masterful thing here by combining worship with the will of God? What's he doing? Well, because worship is about what's center in our lives. Worship is about who sits in the throne chair, who is king. Everything else is oriented around that thing. And that should be God in his rightful place. Only then, only then can we get to the will part, which is good and pleasing and perfect will. You guys, if we have an, a, a misalignment, if we are misaligned in terms of self being the throne, being in the lead chair, the head chair, the king's chair, I, you, we will never be aligned in his will. That is the challenge of our times inside and outside the church, quite frankly. That is the challenge. He goes on in verse 18. He gives a really specific note here that I think is pretty funny. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why does he all of a sudden go down this jaunt of, like, booze, like, over-drinking? Well, well, really quickly, practically speaking, because these folks are new to the church. This is a real historical book. This is Paul, a leader of the early church, writing in the first century of the church to a group of people trying to figure it out, and they're probably still messing around. And they're over drinking. They're still new to this Jesus way. They're still new to letting Jesus be the master and commander of their lives. Self is still running. The desires of the day is still running in their lives. But more broadly speaking, I think we have a worship issue here. I think Paul, by talking about getting drunk on wine and debauchery, we, we actually, he's, he's appealing to worship. There's a worship problem still that looms deeply for each one of us. It's a heartstrings issue. You know, we say that. I've preached that before. I've heard it preached lots of times. People say that money, you know, money's a heartstrings issue. And we kind of hear it. I assume that everyone gets it. But just think of the puppeteer, right? Okay? That's the, the strings go down to the puppet. And, you know, what's controlling it? It's the, that's money. Or in this case, you know, alcohol. It's controlling us down here. That's heartstrings controlling our heart. Our heart is the puppet, and the puppeteer with the strings attached is money or alcohol or other things. And our lives are being driven by that. There's a really important Greek word here, pleru. It's used lots of times. Paul liked this word uh, to be filled by. He's making a contrast. Paul's making a contrast. You can be filled with the stuff of this world, or you can be filled, i.e. controlled by, that's the Greek word, pleru, to be controlled by, Keep being controlled, controlled by the Spirit. That's the contrast that he's trying to make. And what if, what if, he's not just talking about booze, okay? What if for a second he's talking about, he's trying to give us a signpost 
for whatever we're filling ourselves with that we depend on apart from Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that one more time as a question to you. And I want you to track with me because it's really critical. I want it to hit each and every one of us right between the eyes. What if this passage, verse 18, is a signpost for subtracting whatever it is we're filling ourselves with that we depend on apart from Jesus? You see, because that's what, that's what alcohol was for me. Um, you know, up until year 27, I'd probably been, you know, drunk a couple times in my life. Still not a great track record. Still not something to be proud of, I suppose. Uh, but it wasn't something that I was running to, to get blasted, you know, during the weekdays. But it was something I was running to, just to be real honest with you. It was something I was running to, to unwind and de-stress and escape and uh, medicate, maybe even comfort. It was something I was going to for those things. And I'll never forget, it was the summer of 2014. I was at a Christian conference. And they had all this epic worship music. It was a Jesus culture conference. You should look them up. It's powerful worship. I'm listening to the music and the speaker gets up there and I'll never forget his words. He just said between songs, he said, look, at the point of this song is that God wants the whole part of your heart He doesn't just want a sliver of the pie. He doesn't just want a percentage. He doesn't just want a piece. He wants the whole part of your heart. And all the strings that are attached to it wants to be attached to him, to his spirit, to be filled by his spirit. He wants the whole thing. So what for you, audience members, this is the guy speaking to all of us, speaking right to me, God, I think, really truthfully using another man to speak into my heart and my life and my soul in that moment where I heard, not him anymore, but I heard God now saying, I want that piece of your heart back, Ben. I want that piece back. So I hope that you can hear me for a second. That's not the issue maybe for you. Maybe it's not alcohol for you. Whatever it is for you. And by the way, alcohol in isolation by itself is not this evil thing. It's just like if I were to go at coffee right now. Oh no, don't say it, pastor. That's the one thing you can't go after. You can't go after coffee. No, that is a Christian thing. Okay, that's Christianity is to drink coffee together. All right? Okay, but sometimes are we looking, it says filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we're filled with coffee and that's our dependence. And that is our worship place is coffee alone. Forget the Spirit for a second. We have t-shirts, whole spirits, not whole t-shirts. Not until I've had my coffee. Okay, not until after 10 a.m. Don't even try and speak to me right now. It's not happening. And we rock those t-shirts as the church. Or what if it was phone? Okay, in and of itself, coffee, not an evil thing. But the worship of it and the playing of our heartstrings of it, our phone, not an evil technology. But the way it rules and commands our hearts, those toxic relationships, those walls in our relationships, those are the things that maybe we're controlled by, we're filled with. And God is trying to say to you this morning, please hear him, I want that part back. Come to me for it. Back to Romans 12. The if before the good and pleasing and perfect will is I need your worship. I need your whole heart. And then you can walk in the fullness of my will. If we have that misaligned, man, we're going to be missing out on the full and pleasing and perfect will. Next, we go to verse 19. Verse 19 is this classic passage on worship, worship music even. 
I want to prove the fact that God's into worship and y'all need to have your butts in seats on Sunday morning and you need to be there for music. We're going to go to Ephesians 5.19 to prove our point. And that's what we think it is. It's just this text that allows us to, to prop up and sponsor worship music. So much more than that. Okay? Check out verse 19. It says, Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making music. And you're What? Hearts to the Lord. Good, you're still with me. Way to hustle. Love you. Glad you're here. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Okay. Let's talk about worship music, though, for a second. Let us talk about worship music. You know, I had this moment last week where I was just really thankful for the fact that we have people that come in and they play for us live worship music. I mean, that's pretty neat. And I want to remind you, there's like a couple other models, at least a couple other models out there for how we could be doing worship on Sunday morning. Uh, for example, I just found this. I don't know why. It's just on the church desk. Uh, you know, it's been there for like, since I've been here for years now. The African Methodist Episcopal Church Hymnal. Okay, this could be our model. You want, should I read from it? I'm, I'm going to read from it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I'm just going to go. I had this bookmark here. That's by accident. I just went here to Psalm uh, uh, 319. There's a garden where Jesus is waiting. First of all, it took me about 20 or 30 minutes sitting in my office last week to realize how to read this thing. I just don't know how to go from one thing. It's like numbered. I still wasn't getting it, okay? You can call me dumb. That's fine. I'm not that educated, okay? I'm not seminary trained before you ask. And the hymnal broke that down for me. It broke me down. It showed that that was true. There's a garden where Jesus is waiting. There's a place that is wondrously fair. For it glows with the light of his presence. Tis the beautiful garden of prayer. Should I keep going? I'm going to keep going. There's a guy. No, I'm not going to keep going. That could be our model, okay? That could be our model. We could have a model where we got five or six people up here with just microphones only. A couple of them questionably vocally gifted, okay? It's questionable. But they're up here and they're singing along. They're just singing along. No instrumentation. They're singing along to like an iPod, iPod in the back or a phone in the back. And it's just music and they're singing along, okay? That could be our model of worship. Quick qualifier because a couple of you think that I'm just a judgmental pastor and I'm tearing down worship. Listen, would it make a difference to God? No, no. He accepts it. He loves it. He calls for it. All I'm trying to illustrate for a second is do we even know what we ought to be thankful for? Sometimes we don't even know what we don't know. I love that quote. We don't even know what we ought to be thankful for because of maybe how we've taken things for granted. Look, this series, you guys, a series, song, spiritual song, worship, is about bringing it home, bringing it all the way into the home. So in case you're wondering, Ben, yeah, live music, that's really great. But what does that have to do with translating this into the home, bringing this into the home? Well, I'll tell you a couple things. In my home, quick story before I do. In my home, my mom, I was going to say my parents, it was my mom. My mom only let us listen to Christian music and the Beatles. That was our rule, okay? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of you guys are thinking, man, that was a concession. You had it good. You don't even know how many classics are on all that four... No, I won't go there. Um, and so suffice to say, when I got to high school and college, I was pretty sick of the Christian tunes, okay? I took a hard pass on Christian music for at least six years, maybe more. It, it, a couple reasons. One, when something's shoved down your throat, it's not going to be okay. You, as soon as you're freedom, you're given an ounce of freedom, you're going to run in the opposite direction. And that was me a little bit in high school and college. Secondly, it was just kind of generic, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Christian music. It was just kind of that all sounded the same. Then there was a moment, there was a moment when I graduated college and through all things, through of all things, Christian radio, there was a new Christian radio station that came on. And again, I've been out of the game for like six years. I turned this thing on, I'm like, wow, cool. 
they've, they've figured some things out. <laughs> they've, they've made some adjustments. This is sick. This is cool. I'm into this. I can listen to this. And I had a, a, a renaissance of worship in my heart on that day. I, I, I did. And, and I'm not kidding. I've been brought to tears screaming and worshiping by myself in the car to the lyrics of some of these songs. And a couple of you guys know what I'm talking about. Why do I share this? Why do I give this example? Because you guys got to try it. You guys got to try that. If you want worship to be more than an emotional experience on Sunday morning, you got to bring it into your car. You got to bring it into your home. And I'm talking to you men, particularly a lot of men that come in and it's like, Ben, love church service today, but man, does it have to be six songs? Oh, yeah, it does have to be six songs. And we're going to keep going. Each time I get asked that, I might just have the guys throw on an extra. Okay. Guys, yes, I'm going to pick on you for a second. I'm talking to you. You might need a worship renaissance in your heart. You might need that. Try it. Put the stuff in your earbuds. And why? Further still, why though? Go back to the passage. Did we miss something? Like I said, this is kind of just our proof for worship. Yeah, we should be worshiping great. But we miss the way it starts. Speaking to one another. What does it say? Speaking to one another in such forms. Look, what would happen? That's the question I want to ask this morning, in this moment, in this verse. What would happen if if we let worship get into ourselves and permeate our beings? What what kind of things would overflow in our day-to-day world if we let it permeate? I mean, I think there'd be a shift, don't you? I mean, if you believe what the Bible says, if you believe what the Bible says about what goes in, some things will come out. Proverbs 18, one of my favorite Proverbs, says that the, that the tongue has the power to give life and death. Wow. From the mouth has the power to give life and death, to build up and to break down. That we would speak to one another using these things. I don't know about you, but guys, I have all this crap flying past me day to day. I have these people coming after me. I have this throne of self threatening me every day. And do you know what I need to cling fast to in those moments? Do you know what I need in that moment? Well, we just sang a second ago. You split the sea so I could walk right through. When I'm thinking, how am I going to get through this today, God? What is your will today, God? I wish I knew your plan today, God. I can't see it through the trees. You split the sea so I could walk right through. That's what I need inside my head and my heart and permeating my whole body and my home and my kids and my wife. That's the kind of thing I need to permeate so that we could know the will of God, so we could walk into the will of God. Try it. We have to start practicing that. And wisdom, wisdom is knowing the will and worship of God. Paul goes on. There's another part of our worship that might seem so basic, but so overdue. In verse 20, this is what it says. Always giving thanks. And we're always giving thanks to God the Father for each other in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, my kids, um, they don't give thanks to God the Father for each other, okay? They're not just abounding with giving thanks to God the Father for each other. My four-year-old, my five-year-old, my seven-year-old, it's not, that's not their go-to. It's not something they've just like mastered. Maybe some of you have. That's awesome. I want to talk to you afterwards in the lobby and we can find out how you learned how to just live in 24-7 thanksgiving. But there's this tool that I learned that is so good, I pray it would enter into every one of your homes, whether you got kids or not. If this one thing could enter into your homes, I think it could be transformative. 
And that thing is ags. Say ags. Ags. Say ags. Man, not acts like the book of the Bible. Acts, A-G-S. It's not a word. Yes, I'm making you say phony, made-up stuff. Say it one more time because y'all are sleeping. Acts. Yeah, all God's stuff. All God's stuff. This is a youth leader who imparted this to me when I was a teenager. I'll never forget it. It's so critical. Where did he get that idea, all God's stuff? Oh, well, he got it from Scripture, didn't he? Look at the examples. A little small, but I'll read for you. And this is uh, Psalm 50. But I do not need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens. That was the old style of worship is to bring an offering, to light a fi- you know, an animal on fire. Okay, that was worship. For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and what? Everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. One more example, just to keep it going. James 1.7 says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Every, not just the good days, not just the good stuff, the tough stuff too, and everything in between is a gift from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Here's your action, okay? Here's the action item this morning. You gotta leave with one thing. I'll be extremely practical right now. Put one of those verses to memory for you. I don't care if you're a teenager or you're a bachelor or a bachelorette, you're single, you got roommates or you're married your kids or you're an empty nester. You're gonna need one of those verses this week to remember it's all God's stuff. You're gonna need that reminder. It's all God's stuff. When we're worried about the plans, when we're worried about the things, the people coming after our money and coming after our precious time, we're gonna need to remember it's all God's stuff. That is how we will come to understand wisdom is that he owns it all. That is how we'll come to understand worship is that he owns it all. What do we need to surrender this year? As the band comes up, I just want to challenge you with that question. What do we need to surrender? Part of ags, part of all God's stuff is this proposition that there are, we need to surrender. Not just a portion of it, not just a sliver of it, but the whole thing. If he already owns it all, then it's futile, isn't it? It's futile to say, I need to cling to this, I need to hold on to that, this is mine a little bit. No, every good gift. So in this year, what is the thing you need to share? I got little kids. Does sharing ever go away? Does it ever go away as an issue? Your parents of teenagers and like young adults, does it ever go away? Okay, good. Because I know sharing just like picky food eaters is like God's ultimate test through kids. It's just, we need to share. What is it that we need to share? For some of us, we may give our tithe. We may bring our offering. Money, not a big deal. Time. Maybe time is the last holdout. I'm praising God. We had like six or seven people that signed up last month to join the tech team, to join the social media team, to take pictures. And they're sacrificing their time. That's one of the most radical gifts you can offer. That's a mentality that says it's all God's stuff anyway. What a wonderful mentality that is. And it's an encouragement to your staff, to one another, to the church, to building one another up. As I wind down, I want to give you, we've been talking about the will and worship of God. And that's the definition of true wisdom. The will and worship of God. I hope that you've been able to see from this morning there's this wonderful interplay 
One precedes the other. One feeds the other. One is the fruit of the other. They do this wonderful dance and interplay between knowing the will of God, being in worship to God, removing ourselves from the throne, and putting God right back where he belongs in our worship. We'll feed and build into walking in his way and knowing his will. That crucible question, that age-old question for every person new to the church or been here years. You want to know the answer to that question. That's what we've been trying to chip away at. And those two things, I think, come together powerfully, once again, in a text that you've seen a million times before. And I want to look at it one more time from a fresh lens. So it says in Matthew 6.10, the kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the Lord's prayer. At least half of us could probably spout that off if we were requested to. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does this have to do? You see the word will. What does it have to do with worship, Ben? How are we going to tie this whole thing back together? There's a beautiful intersection happening here. And I'll tell you my challenge, because I normally read that and I think, man, you know what, as a millennial, you know, one of these dream makers, how can we bring more of heaven to earth? This is like canned millennial Christian language. Just bring heaven to earth, man. All we got to do is bring heaven to earth. And half the people who are new to church are like, what is the guy talking about, heaven to earth? They're separate for a reason. I don't know. How do they mix? How do they mingle? How about heavenly things? Yeah, bringing heavenly things to earth, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, brotherly love, compassion, mercy, grace, forgiveness, transcendent forgiveness. When we come together, we talked about this in the last couple of weeks. In Christian community, we should be able to offer each other radical forgiveness. Those are the pieces of heaven that can come to earth. I'm obsessed over that question. God, how can we bring those things here now in our communities and in our church? But, but I've seldom flipped the question around. It's a wonderful thing to think about, bringing heaven to earth, but, but what's God's will? What's God's will in heaven? We think about earth because we are preoccupied here. That's where we live. That's where we hang. So that makes sense. But what about God's will in heaven? Do you ever stop to dwell and think and pray on that? What's God's will about in heaven? Well, maybe we ought to because it's supposed to be reflected down here, Right? And there's this amazing picture. You guys can go to the book of Revelation. It's not on the screens. I'm going to read it for you right now. The answer is worship. His will in heaven is that he's placed right where he should be. And we are all out here singing praises morning till evening. That's what we're doing. That's our orientation. That's God's perfect and good and pleasing will. It says this in Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could even number, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. They were worshiping. That's a picture of heaven right now. That's a picture of heaven yet to come. That's the intersection. You want to know what God's will is? We could start practicing right now. We could put that into practice right now with our worship. Guys, there's a, a beautiful quote um, about the early church, about the first century church. These Ephesians that we've looked at this whole morning. One author said that they had a happiness that made men sing. This church, these new believers, they had a happiness that made men sing. 
The challenge for me today where the church is positioned is that I think unfortunately those outside the church walls do not see singing and they are not compelled to sing themselves. They have felt they have felt condemnation. They have felt judgment. They have felt bigotry at the hands of the church. They haven't seen friendship. They haven't seen amazing unity. They haven't seen mercy and grace. But those are the things that they need to see. They should see in us a happiness through our worship. They should see a dancing through our worship that compels them to say, I have to go see what that, that place, that light is doing and what is happening there so that I can be a part of it. That is our challenge in bringing God's will that's being done in heaven right now and bringing that to earth. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you so much for your good and pleasing and perfect will. God, I, the fact that you don't leave that hidden from us is a beautiful gift. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a good, good father. Thank you, God, that you send us uh, brothers and sisters, friends, community, so that we can share and worship. Thank you for this team of leaders and volunteers that lead us in worship now. I pray that we would be compelled to offer our whole hearts, God. Give our whole hearts to you, not just a portion, not just a percentage, but the whole thing so that we can walk into your good and pleasing and perfect will. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.